Um, my name is Jim White. Uh, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, thank you for being here today. Um, the, I've entitled this Reconciliation, Compassion, or Compulsion. Uh, really, the subtitle should be the book that nobody reads yeah. uh, because it's about the book of Philemon. Um, and and I, I want to start by saying um, I'm not a theologian. I, I do not have a, a degree in Bible. Uh, I've never been to seminary. Um, I, I attended some Christian schools. Uh, my dad was a, was a professor. He was a preacher for many years and then a, a professor at several of our Christian colleges. I attended several Christian colleges. I've worked for four Christian colleges. And, uh, but my background uh, has been, I, I tell people in my other life, I worked in uh, college admissions, uh, so uh, my, my other degrees are in higher education administration. Uh, but I have been preaching for over 25 years now, and, and uh, where I am now, uh, I've got one of my elders with me. Uh, I've been there almost 19 years. They haven't fired me uh, yet. Um, so um, anyway, uh, it's, it's one of those kind of things where this topic was one, if, if I'm doing some kind of topic like this, I, I, I have to really, I have to really delve deep and work, work hard. And, and I'm not trying to get you to say, oh, you're a wonderful person because you work hard. But uh, I mean, I went to a monastery uh, for a week and, and studied and read uh, commentaries. I've, I've just really agonized over this. And uh, what I've learned is that I'm really not that smart. Uh, I really don't know much. And uh, because, you know, you take a book like Philemon and it's just, there's just nothing to it, you say, you think. Uh, it's, it's short, uh, but they write these huge commentaries. I mean, pages and pages and pages. And uh, so here's my plan today. Um, we're going to uh, I'm, I'm a preacher, and, and I usually talk 20 to 25 minutes. That put us about 10:30. Uh, what I what I plan to do is go ahead and finish, and then uh, it's pretty soon after uh, breakfast. Uh, just let you sleep. Uh, don't just don't do it during, okay? Um, but anyway, um, I'll, I'll probably go longer than 25 or 30 minutes today. <laughs> I, I entitled this, as I said, the book that nobody reads, and and I'm talking about a little book that's stuck between Titus and Hebrews, and it only contains 430 words in the NIV. Uh, 430 words. Uh, there are only 335 words in the Greek language, and so when you you think about that, Paul either used them all or or used several uh, over and over again. Uh, but it's the shortest book of, of Paul's. Uh, it's the third smallest book of our canon. It's behind the books of 3 John and also, well, 2nd and 3rd John. And Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians are more of a discussion for a group of people. Uh, they, they really... Uh, talk to certain chunks of people, whereas Philemon is 
is a book about um, really a, a relationship, a couple of people. Uh, it's more like First Timothy and Second Timothy. It's it's more like those books. That's very very personal, and so we we don't have that. And I'm not saying that Romans and Galatians and those books aren't relational. I'm just saying that these are more personal as far as that's concerned. And and so, uh, and and it's one of those books. It's it's kind of like you know when I was growing up. Uh, in, in working with Christian camps and things like that, you know, you'd, you'd go to a, to a, uh, uh, a camp devotional, you'd get your boys or girls in a camp devotional and say, okay, we're going to go around the room and we're going we're gonna, to uh, say our favorite Bible verse. You know what, what it is, you know, it's Jesus wept. They'd always laugh a little bit, you know. That's kind of the way I see the book of Philemon. You know, you say, how many books have you read today? Oh, yeah, I've read several. Uh, it takes just a few minutes just to read Philemon. Uh, and yet it's, it's chock full of a bunch of stuff. I want to start by reading the book of Philemon. Uh, I'm going to read this from N.T. Wright's uh, a contemporary translation. And uh, just, just soak in these words. Paul, a prisoner of King Jesus and Timothy, our brother to our beloved Philemon, our colleague and partner, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our comrade in arms, and to God's people who meet in their house. May grace and peace be upon you from God our Father and King Jesus. I always thank my God when your name comes up in my prayers, because I've heard of your love and faithful loyalty. My prayer is this, that the partnership which goes with your faith may have all its powerful effect and in realizing every good thing that's at work in us to lead us into the king. You see, my dear brother, your, your love gives me so much joy and comfort, and you have refreshed the hearts of God's people. And because of all this, I could be very bold in the king and order you to do the right thing. But because of his love, I'd much rather appeal to you. Yes, it's me, Paul, speaking, an old man as I am, and now a prisoner of King Jesus. I'm appealing to you about my child, the one I have fathered here in prison, Onesimus, Mr. Useful. There was a time when he was useless to you, but now he's very useful to you and to me. And I'm sending him to you for your decision. Yes, sending the man himself. And this means sending my own heart. I would have liked to keep him here with me so that he could have been your representative in serving me in the chains of the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without you knowing about it. And that way, when you did the splendid thing that the situation requires, it wouldn't be under compulsion but of your own free will. Look at it like this. Maybe this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you could have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, as a beloved brother, beloved especially to me, but how much more to you, both as a part of your household and in the Lord. And so anyway, if you reckon me a partner in your work, receive him, as though he was me. 
And if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, put that down on my account. This is me, Paul, writing with my own hand. And I'll pay you back. And far be it from me to remind you that you owe me your very own self. Yes, my brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in the King. And as I write this, I'm confident that you'll do what I say. In fact, I know you'll do more than I say. But at the same time, get a guest room ready for me. And I'm hoping you see that through your prayers, I will be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, and King Jesus sends you greetings. So does Mark, our Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my colleagues here. And the grace of the Lord King Jesus be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, guide our thoughts today and help us to see what you want us to see. Thank you for each of those that are in this room, and I pray that you will bless them. And may their, may their ministries be successful, and may they grow closer to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. I have to admit that as I studied this and read different things, that I've had to come up with a new vocabulary. For instance, the word manumission. Anybody know what that means? I didn't either. So I had to look it up. It means freedom from slavery. Uh, and, and so if you read anything in, the, in the, the, the commentaries that are out there, you're going to see that word, and it's going to come up. Now, I think it's important to have this discussion about slavery. Uh, because a lot of the stuff that I studied was about slavery, and our concept of slavery really comes from Civil War uh, and, and why that war was fought. But our concept of, of this, as I said, comes from the Civil War, but slavery has been around for a long, long time. Uh, in fact, uh, many years ago, I went to Trinidad, and in Trinidad, uh, there are basically uh, uh, two groups of, of, of people there. You have uh, African-Americans, uh, not African-Americans, but Africans who were brought in as slaves. And you have Indians uh, from India. Um, and you have about 49% African, about 42% uh, Indians, and what happened was the 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 black uh, people of of Trinidad were were given their freedom before even slavery happened in in the United States, and they didn't want to work in the cane fields anymore, and so they brought in indentured servants in from India, uh, and you've got like I said, forty nine percent, forty two percent. They don't like to mix. They're they're. You know, if, if you heard Rick Atchley's talk and, and, and you, you hear this, how the church is going to have to be uh, more multicultural, it's a struggle down there. Uh, and so you've got these two ethnic groups that really don't want a lot to do, and yet both of them serve time as slaves. But if you go back a little bit further... Uh, in fact, a lot of slavery didn't have anything to do with ethnic origins. Um, sometimes it was failing in business. If you failed in business, uh, you had to become uh, subservient to somebody else. Uh, if 
you were on the wrong side of a battle, you became the slave of somebody else. And you don't have to look very much further than David and Goliath. Remember that story? David, that's a dumb question, isn't it? Everybody remembers that story. Uh, David and Goliath, you know, Goliath would come out every day and he would call for Israelites to, to send out their best person to come and fight. And he says, you know, if I win, then you will become our slaves. If you win, we will become your slaves. In fact, that was the, the word they used. And what about the Israelites in Egypt? The Israelites in Egypt were also slaves. They went down because of Joseph, but in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, it says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies. Fight against us and leave the country is what they'll do. And so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithon and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. Now, one of the most egregious statements, I think, uh, we find in the New Testament. In, in uh, the scripture in John, uh, Jesus had told the Jews who he was, and he was telling them that judgment was coming on them, and he said to them in a passage, and by the way, just pretend that you're looking at this passage up there on the screen, okay? Uh, I don't know where she went. Uh, but anyway, uh, he said to them in this passage, if you hold to my teaching, Jesus says this, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I mean, that's a very famous, popular verse that we use. Listen to their comment. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Are you kidding me? I mean, hear the Israelites saying, we have never been slaves to anyone. We just mentioned the Egyptians, right? And then you remember what happened during the, the, the time frame where they were rebelling against God. And here come the Babylonians. And they take them. Here come the Assyrians. And they come in and they take them. And who were they subservient to even at that point? Were the Romans. And they say, we have never been slaves to anyone. So I find that very interesting, that, that sometimes you don't even know that you are a slave. So slavery was a very common thing during this time. And we could argue, uh, yeah, of course, slavery is wrong, but we could argue whether or not did Paul condemn or did he condone slavery. Um, that's, that's for another time, actually. But here we've got this story here. And at some point, Onesimus runs away. Why do you run away? We're going to talk a little bit about that. In fact, with, he's with Paul, and the only other place that, that 
Onesimus is married, other than, uh, is mentioned, other than Philemon is in Colossians. Paul's ending the book, and I, I love this. At the end of Colossians, Paul mentions all these people. Uh, and he comes to the end of Galatians. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, fellow servant of the Lord, and I'm sending to you him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And he's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. I, I think that's a just a fantastic statement. And they'll tell you everything that's happening here. So why did Onesimus run away? Well, there are a number of theories. We don't really know for sure. But there are a number of theories. Number one, and the most traditional, is that he stole from Philemon. Um, Philemon was evidently a wealthy man who lived in Colossae. Um, and this comes from verse 18, where Paul is asking Philemon to take him back. And he says, if he's done any wrong or owes you anything, put it on my account. And so that's the assumption that many made, make, is, is that he stole from Paul, and therefore Paul's kind of, uh, of, of, of sending him back and saying, okay, take him back. That's one theory. A second theory, that he fled to Rome seeking asylum with Paul and other Christians. And you see, what happened was a lot of times slaves would run away. They would run to some place and they got asylum in a, in a synagogue or someplace like that. And, and they were not uh, arrested, but they could go there kind of like a city of refuge in a way and, and just get away from this. But it's interesting because uh, runaway slaves generally uh, have to face the death penalty. Unless they could get to a synagogue, of course. But again, speculation. Another one, John Knox guy says that Archippus is really the owner of Philemon. And, and, and uh, I mean of Onesimus and not Philemon. Knox says that Philemon oversaw the churches of the Lycus Valley, but he lived in Laodicea. And, and Paul mentions Philemon first to use his authority to intercede with Archippus. Said, you know, Philemon, can you help me a little bit here? Uh, here's your slave. Archippus is, is, is the guy who owns Onesimus, and please take him back. And very few people accept this explanation because it just seems as you read the book of Philemon that Onesimus belongs to him. Another thought is that Philemon sent Paul purposefully to be his slave and to help him out. Now, let me, let me read from Philippians chapter 2. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Okay, so in other words, here's, a, here's someone that's, that's sent back, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And so you see, this is, this is another one of those theories, is that, that, uh, that, that Philemon sent Onesimus off to Paul and said, here, I want you to help him. Uh, that's kind of my contribution. 
but still we have verse 18 of Philemon where Paul says if he owes you anything. And the fifth theory, a guy named Grant Osborne, he says Onesimus was a slave who had some kind of conflict. Well, duh. Uh, doesn't take much to figure that out. And it totally messed up their relationship. So you can take your pick. But what it all boils down to is, is that there was some kind of conflict. I don't know what it was. I, I, I tend to believe the, the very first part of this that says uh, he was, he was a, a slave of Philemon. He probably stole from him. And Paul says, I want you to take him back and, and I'll pay you. I'll pay you whatever he owes. So here are my conclusions on the matter. Now, this will don't don't think that I'm going to be done in five minutes because this is this is where I get all wound up. So here are my conclusions on the matter. You can add or delete or ignore any of these things. All of these things can be no brainers. But the conclusion that I have to come to in regards to this oft overlooked book. And, and now I'm, I'm going to sound like a preacher. These are the things that I think we can learn from this. The first thing is that God can take any one of us and make us useful. I know sometimes, and, and, and I, I've had people come into my office. Uh, we had a guy just recently who, who had died and before he died, I remember one time I was teaching a class, and after and we, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was talking about grace and, and, and how God loves you and how he'll forgive us of our sins and those kind of things. And this guy came up to me and he said, God will never forgive me of what I've done in my life. God can take anybody in any situation, in any circumstance. And I, I've had, I had a guy come into my office one time and say, I've, I've sinned the unpardonable sin. <laughs> oh, really? You know, tell me about it. And that's the way people feel sometimes. But here's a guy, I don't know who, who he is other than these two times that he's mentioned in Scripture. Was he a thief? I don't know. Was he a runaway? Ah, evidently. But exactly who was he? And I guess we'll never really understand who Onesimus was this side of eternity. But I want to read Colossians chapter 4. And I want you to see this again. I already read this, starting in verse 7. He says, our dear brother Tychicus will tell you all my news, and he's a faithful servant, indeed a fellow slave in the Lord. And this is why I'm sending him to you. And, and by the way, before I go any further in this, if you'll notice, in a lot of the passages, in, uh, in, in a lot of the, the books that are written in the epistles, uh, Paul, Peter does it, uh, we'll use the term uh, a servant. Paul, a servant. Peter, a servant. And really, that word is a slave. And he calls us all to be slaves of Jesus Christ, to be slaves of the master. Anyway, he says, um, 
starting this time in verse 9, I'm also sending Onesimus, who is a dear and faithful brother, and he is one of your own number. NIV says he's one of you. And I love that wording. And when you think about it, this is one of those passages that when I've come to this passage, and, and he goes on and mentions all kinds of other people, Aristarchus and Mark, and uh, he says Jesus, uh, Jesus Justice, he calls him. And there are a number of people. And, and I've always wondered all the things that Paul went through. And you think about the, 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 the beatings and the shipwrecks. And by the way, he mentions three shipwrecks. Thrice I've been in the, in the, the deep. I only read a one. So two other times Paul spent time in the deep. I, I don't know anything about that. He was whipped. He was, he was beaten. He was stoned and left for dead. Come and be a Christian with me. That's not a really good, you know, uh, it wouldn't make a good poster, would it? I've often wondered, what was it that made following Jesus so attractive? And I think we find it right here. Here's Onesimus. Here's Tychicus. Here's Jesus' justice. He mentions all kinds. It's people that make the difference. It's people that, in, in these relationships, that cause him to be able to say, come and follow Jesus because you're going to have these kind of relationships. And it just... It just blows me away. These are some pretty heavy hitters. And, and Paul describes Onesimus as our faithful and dear brother who's one of you. And then you think about Demas. He mentions Demas. Demas, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So I sit here and I, I, I ask you, are you an Onesimus or a Demas? Are you going to be faithful to him? And, and, and even though things may have gone wrong, will you stay true to him? Or are you going to be a Demas who looks good on paper, but has forsaken the Lord? And it's interesting, y'all know what Onesimus means, don't you? The very word means useful. He says he's useful. He's one of these kind of guys. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we don't have the names like they did back then. The names meant something back then. I'm, my name is Jim. Uh, the, the best thing I could come up with is to follow it back and find out that, well, Jacob, it comes from Jacob, which means supplanter, which is not a good thing. But, you know, we, we think about our names, and do they really mean anything? Not really. I do know that when, when we were uh, in the process of, of naming our children, you know, we'd come up with names, and then, you know, one or the other would say, uh, no, not that one, because I remember, a, you know, whatever it was back then. You know, we're kind of that way. But there was not necessarily a meaning. 
You remember when, when Hosea and Gomer had children? Uh, there, it was Loami and uh, I can't even remember the other one. But, but it, was, it was not my people. Is what it meant. And, and here's, here's a guy named Onesimus, and he is useful. God can take you and make you useful. But number two, and I guess this is really a, a big one. It's this free will versus compulsion. I, I call it compassion versus compulsion. And I, I apologize to these three, especially my wife, because she's heard this illustration so many times. When I was a kid, my dad made me mow the grass. Not my favorite thing to do. Uh, in fact, um, dad was doing graduate work at Ohio University, and I worked for my aunt and uncle in Athens, Ohio, for a while. And I lived with my aunt, and this is in the summer. And uh, she, being a Christian, let me off on Wednesdays and Sundays, and Dad would pick me up uh, on Tuesday night, and so I'd have Wednesday off, and he would say, y you need to mow the grass. <sighs> Dad, let me wait till Sunday. Nope, you're not going to do it on Sunday. Dad was a big believer in Sabbath. <laughs> and so I had to mow the grass. Now, the way I mowed the grass was muttering under my breath the whole way. I can't believe I'm having to do this on my day off, you know. You, you just, you're not happy about it. You're, you're just angry. Well, later on in life, um, my parents, dad taught at Harding, and uh, he and mom were getting ready to go to Europe, to, to Florence, to teach in their, their program over there. And dad, we were sitting around one night, and uh, Dad said, I'm thinking about getting the boy down the street to mow my grass while we're going. I, I was insulted. I said, I can't believe you're What? You can't get that guy down the street? Well, Dad kind of looked kind of surprised. And I looked at him and he, I said, I'm going to mow your grass. Now, <laughs> what was the difference I think it was compassion versus compulsion. I had to do it when we lived in Ohio. It was one of my jobs. I had to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I had to. Later on, our relationship basically changed. I was a sophomore in high school when he made me do it. I was an adult later on, and our relationship had completely changed. And I did it out of compassion for him. Now, I don't know if, if that's what we find here. I think it is. Paul sends Onesimus back. And we don't even know if Onesimus really wants to go back, do we? Uh, there's nothing in there that says, Onesimus has asked that he come back and that you take him back. It doesn't say that at all. We don't know what Philemon's reaction is going to be to take him back. And often the penalty, as I've already mentioned, the, the, the penalty for running away is death. And so we don't know if Onesimus is thinking, I'm going to have to die here. But Paul takes him back. 
And it's interesting because Dr. Paul, with a graduate degree in counseling and psychology from the University of Jerusalem, says to Philemon, as we go back to that book, he says in verse 12, I'm sending him to you for your decision. Yes, sending the man himself, and this means sending my own heart. Now, I, I, I got to say this. If you come from uh, Philemon's position, and if you're angry that Onesimus has run away, and Paul comes up to you and says, I'm sending him, oh, yeah, I'm sending my own heart. What's, on, what's Philemon going to say? Paul, I don't care what you say. I, I, you know, he ran away. He stole from me. I'm not taking him back. But that's not all Paul goes on. I'd like to keep him here with me so that he could be your representative in serving me in the chains of the gospel. But I didn't want anything to do without you knowing about it. And that way, when you did the splendid thing that the situation requires, it wouldn't be under, well, here's that word, compulsion, but of your own free will. And he even goes on and says, look at it like this. Maybe this is the reason why he was separated from you for a while, so that you could have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Beloved especially to me, but now much more to you, both as a part of your household and the Lord. So anyway, if you reckon me as a partner, do you hear that word? If, conditional. If you reckon me as a partner, he says, receive him as though he was me. And I'm sitting here thinking from Philemon's viewpoint, argue with that dude. You know, fight back. And he goes on and he says, and if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, put it on my account. This is me, Paul, writing with my own hand, and I'll pay you back, and far be it from me to remind you that you owe me your very own self. <laughs> is Paul playing fair here? Uh, I don't know. We could argue about that, couldn't we? Don't we find that we do things better when we want to do them? And Paul comes along and he says, I don't want to bring this up, but you do owe me your life. I think that's very interesting. But the book of Philemon is about putting into practice of what Paul has been teaching all along. All along. And that's reconciliation. Scott McKnight in his commentary on Philemon says, What this letter then does for us today demands our immediate attention. The church is to be first space of reconciliation in our communities. First among its own people and second as reconciled people 
who strive for reconciliation in society. Reconciled people become agents of reconciliation because they know no other way. In Philippians chapter 4, there are a couple women that aren't getting along, Yodi and Syntyche. I think you could make a case for the entire book being about reconciliation. I think you could make a case saying that the entire book is about Yodi and Syntyche, and he's coming along, and he says, listen, I want you to help them because these two women have worked by my side, and I want you to make sure that they work together. Paul calls us to a ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I love this passage starting in verse 16. From this moment on, therefore, we don't regard anybody from a merely human point of view Even if we once regarded the Messiah this way, we don't any longer. Thus, if anyone is in the Messiah, there is a new creation. Old things have gone, and look, everything has become new. It all comes from God. He reconciled us to himself through the Messiah, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is how it came about, that God was reconciling the world to himself in the Messiah, not counting their transgressions against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. This has been Paul's message all along, and I I want us to understand that it was not something that was particularly easy. This wasn't something that Paul says, hey, let's just uh, be reconciled and we'll all get together and eat cake and and everything will be fine. It's not what he did. We're talking people of, as if you heard Rick Ashley, of different ethnic groups, of different values. Uh, Just being in the same room together was hard for a lot of them. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. I want reconciliation. I don't think we understand how earth-shattering that was. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, there is, nor is there male or female. For you are all heirs according to the promise. Just as one body has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So why is this little book in our canon? Why is it even there? Well, you'll get a variety of answers. But one that I saw has an interesting take on this. They said that this short letter had an impact on Philemon and he took Onesimus back. And in essence, it worked. It worked. And that's why it's in our New Testament. 
Never under, underestimate brevity. I, I taught school. Uh, I taught college students for a couple of years. And, and as they would write papers, they would just be verbose. And I would try to tell them, remember the economy of words. And I think Paul does the same thing here. He says, listen, I don't have much to say, but what I do say is, here's somebody I want you to take back. I love him. You owe me. <laughs> and so take him back. Abraham's Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address was only 272 words long. And this little book has 335 Greek words. But it, it can it can impact your church, your life, and your community. I appreciate y'all coming today. Thank you for being here.